You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Welcome to Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm the Phelps part of that. Jeff Phelps, my buddy Mike Fratello, sitting in a hotel room somewhere in North America, getting ready to cover an NBA basketball game. Hello, coach. How are you, Jeff? Miss you. And, and I miss you, sir. Um, you're out and about. You're seeing NBA basketball. That's terrific. It's what you do for a living. Uh, in Cleveland, things have been interesting. Eight-game winning streak. Cavs were hot. Story of the NBA. And then the NBA kind of hit the Cavaliers. Four-game losing streak. Some injuries along the way. Uh, streakiness early in the season. I guess it can't be a surprise. Mike, can it? I think as we followed the beginning of the season here, most teams – are around the dozen game mark, give or take one or two games. And what's happened is we've seen guys get out to early, uh, impressive records, and then they kind of fall back to the pack. And other teams that started out slowly suddenly kind of get it all together and start to move up in the standings. And I'm not sure if this has been the case every year. I just think back, uh, the great teams from the season before, that did not have a lot of movement in the offseason. I'm talking about free agency, guys leaving the rosters, or trades taking place. It seemed like those types of teams always got out of the gates early. Uh, they seemed to be healthy coming back. They knew what the coach expected offensively. They knew what he expected defensively. Well, like maybe, Mike, Milwaukee and Boston so far this year? Exactly, uh, because... Boston, even though there's a change in the head coach, right. the assistant kept basically everything in place, is adding a little bit as he goes along, but they went to the NBA Finals, so they come out of the gates quickly. Milwaukee may have won the championship last year if Middleton didn't get injured, if they right. didn't lose him along the way. They have the same head coach once again. They've just added a player or two, but kept the nucleus together. So you expect them to come back and come out of the gates because they want to get that early lead. They want to build up W's. They want to secure home court advantage. All of those things, they understand how important that is when you get to a game seven the previous season and you lose, and that game seven was on the road. There's a point for the coach to make about, see, if we would have had home court advantage, who knows, we may have won that game seven mm. instead of losing it. So, for the Cavaliers last year, let's think about it. When they came out and played the first 20, 25 games of the season, they were the talk of the NBA. People were like, wow, what, you know, look at this. They're playing right. big three seven-footers, and they're winning games. And they were the talk and surge of what was going on in the NBA. And, 
And now, you know, injuries, as happens every year, wind up catching certain teams, and we see the juggling going on. Coming up in the uh, podcast, we're going to talk about the Cavs' small forward position because that's the one spot in the lineup that you might think is unsettled for the Cavaliers. That's coming up. We're going to take a look at some of those teams that Mike just talked about who are maybe finding their groove right now. But, Mike, right now, the Cavs hot early, then they, they put together a losing streak and trying to find themselves a little bit. What kind of a challenge does this present for J.B. Bickerstaff, for everybody, and, and I mean this in particular? You're trying to find your your groove. You're trying to mesh together. Well, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, your your key guys, have only played six games together. And in those games, uh, out of the first 11 games, out, out of 13 games, out of that, uh, they're two and four. How difficult is it? And, and I think they've done a pretty good job without both of those guys being there. But how difficult is it to maybe figure out exactly how you're supposed to play with this crew when your two key guys haven't been out there a whole lot. It's very difficult because together you have dominant ball dominant players in the backcourt. Uh, so these guys, look, they've both proven their point to us. They can score a lot of points when they want to in a game. Garland going off for 51 last game, and we've seen some of the performances that Donovan Mitchell has put together already for the Cavaliers. So between those two guys, you have a backcourt that can get you 60 points every night if that's what they wanted to do, if wow. they were uh, not concerned with the overall winning for the basketball team, if they were not concerned about getting their big men involved, they've got an all-star center. They've got a guy that could have been rookie of the year last year playing up front. You've got to reward those guys. Then you have a guy, a veteran, coming off the bench who's already won an NBA championship, who is still in great shape, still can rebound, still can shoot the ball, and Kevin Love, so he's your sixth man coming off as far as the big guys go. And then a Karis Levert, whether he's starting or with the second unit, we know he's been a starter for a lot of the games in his career. So without these players, with the injuries that have taken place, it seems like you know the head coach is constantly juggling, trying to find the right blend, who fits well together. Uh, because you know shot distribution is very important uh, to the success of teams. Normally in the NBA, there are three players on a roster that take the majority of the shots on a team. And the coach is watching that all the time to make sure those guys are getting enough shots in the game because they're your prolific scorers normally. And, and in this case, it's Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. And you would think Evan Mobley, but there's Karis LeVert and Jared Allen's going to get his, maybe Mike by working on his own and getting rebounds and everything else. And then Kevin Love when he's coming off the bench. Without those two guys in there a lot so far, Darius and Donovan, does that set the team back, Mike, as far as maybe JB's process on, on trying to find this and make, make the system work and make these guys mesh together? Or does it maybe pay long-term dividends because you're getting a lot of different looks and putting guys in different situations? As you know, this is not a woe is me league. The no. games come too fast. Nobody else cares what your problems are in the league. Everybody's got their own problems and concerns. So as a coach, all you can do is go with the philosophy of next man up. When you move up into the starting lineup, because one of those guys are out, we expect you to perform at that level with the starting unit. If you're in the second unit, you get more minutes now because one of the reserves was injured and we need somebody to fill that spot. 
You have to be ready. Remember the old thing, keep yourself ready at all times. It could right. be your night that I call on you. So those players have to be ready. That's why the extra conditioning, the extra workouts, either before or after the normal practice, so that those guys are ready on a given night. You might be called on to give 28 to 32 minutes one night, and your body's got to be ready to do that. So it's part of what the league is about. It's too bad. You hope that your guys don't sustain any serious injuries, but over the course of 82 games, games playing at the uh, pace that these people play at, the size, strength of these people, the floor being still very hard. Last time I remember being down on the ground. <laughs> um, it, it does cause bumps, bruises, pain, sprained ankles, et cetera, et cetera. You just hope that it's not a real serious injury that knocks a guy out for a lengthy period of time. Mike, do you think that JB's having any trouble developing rotations, or is this an, an opportunity for him to try other things with some of these guys out? You know, Dean Wade had an opportunity to start a little bit. He's been out, you know, so maybe exactly what they're looking for isn't something that they've had the opportunity to use very much at all so far. Well, Jeff, I hate to tell you this, but over your lengthy association with the NBA, you did not have to deal with way back this thing called load management. <laughs> I'm answering your question in a roundabout way. Yeah. Because we don't know what's being said in the uh, coach's office, in the trainer's room, in the front office with your, you know, your president, your general manager, along with the doctors. If there are special things that are being recommended by them to the head coach about usage of players, I'll give you an example of uh, the L.A. Clippers, as you know, I also do their games and they are not allowed to play John Wall right now in back to back games wow. so on this recent trip to Houston. And then the next night in Dallas, Wall doesn't play the first night, yet he really helps them in game two come back from. 25 points down in that game and come back to go up three or four in the final two and a half minutes of the game. Basically, John Wall in the second half took over the game uh, with Nick Batum, who was seven for seven from the three-point line. But coach can't play John Wall back-to-back -back nice right now. That's a directive. So they all try to do what is right for the player. John Wall, if you ask him, will tell you, I'm ready to go. I can play every night. Sure, but, but they're not going to let them do that. Well, they don't want them to hurt themselves. You have to keep right. players away from themselves sometimes because they're so competitive and they love playing so much that they're ready to go and they're not worried about, is this going to weaken a muscle that will become more severely damaged down the road because they didn't rest for that 24 or 48-hour period. Mike, Mike, you mentioned the great start last year when Lowry Markkinen was playing the three and you had Evan Mobley as a rookie and Jared Allen really taking a big step in his career. And it kind of quickly became the identity of the Cavs last year. And we thought their identity going into this year until the big Donovan Mitchell trade. How difficult is it for the coaching staff, for the players, for everybody to establish, create, find your other identity this year? Because clearly you're, you're a backcourt dominant team here with still having two terrific guys in the front court in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And if, if you're those guys, are, are you having to go through a, a process to, to find exactly how you fit now as compared to last year? 
Well, it's a really tough question, a good question, but a tough question because you go from a huge front line last year, which can't be done in the NBA anymore. It's impossible. They'll never win a lot of games, but they do it, and they win a lot of games, <laughs> yeah. and they're very successful. Yeah. And you have Gotham, who turns himself, you know, with hard work into an all-star last season. But now you have a dynamic backcourt, and your front court is just a little – two out of the three pieces are back again. That first reserve big man is off the bench, Kevin Love. But that small forward position changes now because of marketing. Right? Give something up to get a great player like Donovan Mitchell. Um, those guys up front have to kind of understand when they're going to get the ball, how many times they're going to get the ball, and be happy with it. I'm trying to think back to championship teams with really good front lines that had an outstanding backcourt. I'm thinking of the Pistons right now. You have a backcourt of Isaiah and Joe Dumars both of whom could score 25 a night if they right. wanted to. Isaiah probably 30 if he wanted to. And then their front line of rotating between Bill Lambeer, Rick Mahorn, James Edwards, John mm -hmm. Sally, and Dennis Rodman. You know, how are you keeping those guys happy? Well, Rodman didn't care if you ever passed him the basketball as far as taking shots goes. James Edwards wanted the ball. Lambeer wanted to touch the ball on the perimeter facing up. So he could shoot the thing. Ricky Mahorn was going to get his off the offensive boards. Kind of like Jared Allen, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Coach Bickerstaff is, is trying to form right now. And nobody does it any better than him because his line of communication is outstanding with the players. And I think you have a team with incredibly good personalities and character and understanding of what it takes, the sacrifice it takes. and giving of yourself to enable the team to be ultimately successful. That's the difficult part for the coaching staff to figure out how can we be ultimately successful. And sometimes it takes changes. If you go back, Jeff, to the, the time that when I was coaching in Cleveland and we started that year with Derek Anderson as a starter and we had uh, Wesley Person as the small forward and we just weren't good enough that way. Wesley was a little small, a little slight to guard. A little lean, yeah. We were getting beat up on the glass. So we could become better, better rebounding team. Uh, we could be tougher defensively if we made a change. And I had to go to Derek, and I said, Derek, I'm going to ask you to do us a favor, come off the bench. On the floor at the end of the game, you'll be there. But I took Wesley Person from the three spot, and moved them back to the two-guard spot. I put Cedric Henderson, who was coming off the bench, but that was 6'8", long arms, could really defend, could run the floor, could jump and rebound, put him into the starting lineup. And that little bit of a change was the difference in that team turning it around, going on a run. They won 47 games that year. So that's what the coaches figure out eventually. This is Basketball Gold. Mike Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps. Mike, you've mentioned the small forward spot. And to me, it's real clear that's where the Cleveland Cavaliers maybe need to figure a couple of things out because you, you have Donovan Mitchell, you have Darius Garland, they're starting. You have Evan Mobley, you have Jared Allen, they're starting. And then you have a small forward and you're looking at different guys there. First of all, Mike, with the scoring in the backcourt and then the effectiveness of the two guys in the front court, what do you think the Cavs need out of the small forward spot because most teams around the league that, that seem to be the big time teams 
have that wing guy, have that small forward that you really have to deal with. Do the Cavs need that? What do they need out of that spot? Well, I'm going to start at the defensive end of the floor because the other teams probably have somebody in that position that can score. Uh, you know, Toronto, that was the guy that won the Rookie of the Year award you know, rather than Mobley. Yep. And um, as a result, you're going to need a guy who can stick his nose in there and slow down, try to stop uh, the opposition's small forward perimeter guy that puts it on the floor, runs the floor, and rebounds a little bit. So we start, one, can he defend that position? Then, with the nature of the game, with guards that can penetrate the way Donovan Mitchell and Garland can, playing that middle pick-and-roll game so much, where if they double-team the ball to take it out of Donovan's hands or uh, Darius's hands, they're going to make that pass to the big man who slips and rolls short. And what I mean by that is he doesn't roll all the way to the front of the rim for the lob. He rolls four or five feet to get that first pass out of the trap on the mm-hmm. ball. Then that man becomes the facilitator. He is now the decision maker because the offense numbers the defense. You have two defenders out on top that just trapped the ball, only one offensive guy out on top. That means you have four offensive people. And that man who's short rolls now has to look over the court if they collapse into the lane, the defense, to take away the layup or dunk, then he's got options on the perimeter. That small forward has to be able to make shots. Make shots, create shots. If he can do both things, then he's really going to help his team because it's going to be the pass, the next pass, the put it on the floor, create from the small forward, kick to the next open man as you're collapsing and you have the defense scrambling around. So you'd like a small forward that can, one, defend. Next here in the the league and the way it is now with the three-point shot, one that can get spacing or create spacing by being able to knock threes down, put it on the floor and handle a little bit, run, be athletic, rebound your position. Am I asking for too much there, Jeff? I think you're asking for an all-star to slip in there with the other four guys that are out there. And I, I like that, Mike. I gonna if you're gonna do it you might as well go for it and, and maybe the Cavs have some of the guy the guys there Let, let's go over some of this personnel and and tell me why this guy should be the right guy and why maybe he should come off the bench or play a different role a uh, guy who's gotten a lot of the starts there is Karis Levert who I've always liked as a player but I wonder is Karis the right guy and this maybe goes back Mike to what you said about Derek Anderson you know, going to Derek and asking him hey for the betterment of the team do you want, can we do this? Where is Karras better coming off the bench and giving Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland a little rest? And then you still have that firepower in the backcourt, maybe a three-man rotation there. Or can he find his game playing next to those guys in the backcourt? Karras seems like the type of individual to me that whatever Coach Bickerstaff asks him to do, and say, yes, sir, go out and do the best job he can. We know this guy can score. We saw him get 42. Right. Against Boston. 41, yeah. Think about this. You get 42 at the Garden to help the Cavs win in overtime, and the next night you go 0 for 9 from the floor. What kind of turnaround is that? And And he's had a couple of single-digit scoring games, Mike, which is why I've kind of wondered, all right, is is it tough for him to be back there with a couple of guys in the backcourt in Darius and Donovan who you know need the ball and know are going to score points for you? 
Well, that knew that night he knew he was going to be one of the primary ball handlers because Darius was out, and Donovan, you have to give him a break at times and take him off the ball and let Karras be the man in the middle making decisions and find that Donovan coming off screens or in transition. Uh, but as a small forward, and he can play, if you want to go real small some nights, he can play one through four uh, for the Cavaliers. But mm. as a three-man, as a two-man, we know he can put the ball down. He can create shots off the dribble. You can play pick and roll with him. If his shot is going down, you got a guy who can make threes for you. He has that kind of range. And he'll stick his nose in there and defend for you. So he gives you great flexibility. He can play as a starter, as we've seen. And hopefully, if he's coming off the bench, getting 18, 20 minutes, 22 minutes a night that way, that he'd be able to be productive for them as well. So that's what makes him so valuable to the team is his flexibility. Dean Wade, to me, Mike, looks like Lowry Markinen light. And I say light only because he doesn't have the experience or the resume quite yet. And JB's given him a look as the start of Aaron. Now he's been out with an injury issue. And when he gets back, we'll see what happens. But defensively, Dean seems to have pretty good feet, can stay in front of people. He has that three-point shot the way that Lowry had that three-point shot with size to go with it. Your thoughts of Dean Wade there as a starter and coming off the bench, and I wonder, is it is it too close to a skill set of Kevin Love, or can that work? The thing about Dean Wade is the coaches may have had more confidence in him than Dean Wade had in himself. <laughs> is, that, is that good? <laughs> and that's what they try to emphasize with him every day about, you can make that shot, take that shot. We created that shot, you take that shot. There's no hesitation here because you are a very good shooter. Uh, so with Dean Wade, not only can he add uh, to the perimeter game, the three-point line, he also, in their opinion, is one of their better defenders. So they're not afraid to switch him on to one of the smaller perimeter guys, and they feel he can keep that smaller guy in front of him, make that player shoot over the top of him, and that they're not going to get broken down off the dribble to where they're always in a scramble mode. So Dean Wade created an opportunity for himself uh, by his hard work at the defensive end of the floor and the coaches believing in him and watching him play defense is saying he's really good in our team defense. At the same time, he adds to them when they're pushing in transition, you've got whether it's Garland or Mitchell pushing in the middle. And then the other wing is either Garland or Mitchell, whichever one doesn't have the ball. And now Wade running the other side. That guy can pitch to either side. They can stop and shoot that transition three. And they've got a lot of belief in that, and that's why they started in those games. All right, so it sounds like there are two guys right there who you think are real viable options to start at small forward. Are you saying, Jeff, between those two guys? No, or... it just sounds to me, Mike, like like you like them both, but for different reasons. But but there are other guys here too. Um, let, let's go with let's go with the guy who started there a lot, Jetty Osmond. And then I remember last year, Mike, when he wasn't starting, Jetty kind of had to find himself, and he had a great start then this season. I think it was four straight games of double-figure scoring, then kind of disappeared for a while. Do you like Jetty in a role like that, or do you like the energy that he can bring off the bench? You know, I, I think you've said exactly what Jetty has been about the last two seasons. He comes out in the beginning of the season, and he's spectacular. Yeah, um, I'm not sure he was really good. That. He was really good this year. Yeah, I'm not sure you're going to ask him to do much more. Not only is he making shots, you know, not hesitating. They throw him the ball. 
coaches told him, if you're open, shoot the three. He does that. Then he's been creating shots off the dribble, taking it hard, driving to the basket, getting fouled, in transition, putting it on the floor, and taking it sometimes 50, 60 feet off the dribble and trying to attack the front of the rim. Then defensively, he's been good. However, and this is that however part, can he keep that up and for how long? Because he has to understand, I just can't be good for 12 games. I have to be good for 82 games to secure my positioning, to give my coach what he needs to get the belief out of the coaching staff that Jetty should be in there every night. He's a regular guy coming off the bench every night. Because if that doesn't happen, then they're going to start searching for other people to take his minutes. And when Mm -hmm. you get out of a rotation, sometimes you don't get back into it again. Two other options. Lamar Stevens hasn't had much playing time at all. I I love the scrappiness of his game, Mike. And I'm wondering, is he a guy who could fit with those other guys and and be that that guy who ties it all together? And then you, you love Isaac Okoro's draft position. You love some of the athleticism he brings. And it doesn't seem like he's been able to make the other guy work on the defensive end very much. Do either one of those guys fit for you there, or do you like their roles coming off the bench? I think the other two players do bring that element of toughness when they go out there. But do they allow the other four guys that are on the floor with them to flourish? And when that opportunity comes, can they make the opponent pay the price for laying off them, for challenging them to shoot the ball, for making the right decision with the ball? And I want you to think about the five names now that have just come up. Yeah. If you're a coach, between those five names, where's the separation? And that's what a coach is looking for. Somebody step up, separate yourself from the rest of the group and show me you should be my starter. And then for the next guy, whoever that is, show me you should be the sub in for him at that position. Mm. And it makes it a little bit easier for the coaches staff that way. But when you're up one night, down the next night, up one night, down the next night, the next guy comes in, makes a shot, makes two shots one game, but then the next game he's 0 for 4. You know, the coaches are constantly searching to try to see which is the right blend, the right mix for us. And there's some players you never need a shot to be made, like Rodman. All right, He's going to get it through offensive rebounds. He's going to get it by running the floor and finishing with a dunk at the end and then stick his nose at the other end and shut out. Uh, the other opponent. So tough decisions sometimes for coaches who to play. I'm really curious to see how that plays out at that small forward spot for the Cavaliers because J.B. Bickerstaff has options and a couple of different options. So that, that'll be a key thing moving forward. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello, former NBA head coach Mike Fratello with the Cavaliers and the Atlanta Hawks and the Memphis Grizzlies, now one of the best color analysts and has been for decades in, in our business. Phelps, Jeff Phelps, Cleveland-based broadcaster, had the pleasure of working with Mike for years. I have always wondered this, Mike. It's it's an 82-game season, you know, so it's it's not like, all right, if, if it goes south real early, we're done. But that said, how do coaches approach the beginning of a season? Are, are you looking, all right, let's let's come out firing. We got to win every game. Of course, you're trying to win every game, but is this essential or is it more critical to look through guys to see what I have? Should I pound the starters early minutes and get as many wins as possible? Is there a specific approach 
period, or is there a specific approach per team? How, how did you approach that? I believe it comes down to what your team is, who they are, what they're about, and where do you expect to be at the end of the season? If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, we use them as an example. You're not thinking about, well, let's experiment and see which guys, you know, we did. no. They want the best record in the NBA. They want to have home court advantage all the way through, just like Golden State. And they're going to play that way from game one. They may increase the minutes on guys as they go along, as guys get in better shape. Uh, however, they're not going to be too anxious to split the first 40 games of the season. They would like to have a sizable lead above the 500 mark and go from there. Other teams... Let's say, take the Rockets, for example, the Houston Rockets. They have an accumulation of young players sure that do, they kind of search through every night to figure out, is this guy a keeper? Is this guy good enough that we want him in our plans over the next five years, six years? So you may start him for four, five, six games, but then if he leaves doubt, you move to that next guy and say, let's try this guy in the lineup. So you may have a more willingness from the front office, and that may be the understanding going into the season. As you sit down, general manager, president, um, head coaches, assistant coach, here's what we expect out of the season. Coach, tell me what you expect out of the season. Here's what we expect. Here's what we'll, look, we're going to be patient. We understand we've got, you know, eight guys that are 21 years or younger on the roster. So as a result of that, we want to see them grow. We want to see them develop. We want to see them, are they NBA-type players? Uh, are they starters in the NBA? Because you can package the ones up that you give up on or feel you made a mistake in drafting them and get them out of there sooner than later. Mm. Because if opponents see them less frequently than more frequently, they may not be able to figure out what their deficiencies are, and you may be able to put them in a package and get a pick back or get another guy back. Uh, that could be a better player for you. So it really is all relative to what your team is trying to accomplish. I think Houston every night goes out, wants them to play hard. They're sifting through people to see who, who can be starters, who can be subs coming off the bench. And they're not the only ones. Okay, there are a number of the teams. Oklahoma City is one. Orlando's another one. Uh, Houston one, certainly that. And Detroit, uh, we should mention, one that has a yeah. lot of young guys yeah. to figure out. What can they do on are these keepers for us? I'm guessing you're talking from experience there because I think to your Atlanta days, well, you had Dominic Wilkins. It's it's real clear you guys were going out to win as many games as you could. You had the star player and you were going. And then I look at some of your Cleveland teams and I'll always remember the year that you had Sean Kemp and four rookies. And you know, you had to find those rookies, and you mentioned one of them earlier, Cedric Henderson. Well, Derek Anderson as well, and Brevin Knight, and Zadrunas Ilgauskas, and you, you had the young guys coming in and trying to, you know, figure out who fit where. What was more what was more fun, Mike, for you, and what was tougher for you? What, was it knowing, hey, we've got the guy, let's go, or was it, let's see what we have? Well, let's go back to Atlanta first. Uh, that was a total total rebuild situation in Atlanta with the exception of Dominique Wilkins, Tree Rollins, Scotty Hastings, because we had gotten to the point uh, after my first year when we sat down and did our evaluation, uh, I said, look, we're slow, we're old, but we're good enough to win enough games just to get in the playoffs. That's who we are. 
but then we get knocked out in the first round. So let's think about we've got this jewel in Dominique. Let's see what we can get for some of these pieces. Mm. Let's try and rebuild this thing. And that's what you were talking about just a minute ago. Maybe you don't expose some of those guys and you try and pick up a piece or two to help along the way. So you did that. All right. So what we did is we traded away who was our best player at that time and our only all-star at that time. And that was Danny Roundfield. And for Roundfield, we got back Antoine Carr, Cliff Levingston, hmm. and a pick that turned into John Battle. So we got back three pieces for the next year's team when we went young. And then with draft picks that we had, we took Doc Rivers and Randy Whitman, who were our starting backcourt for the next six years. Uh, you know, so that's kind of like how we put it together. And then that the group that we put together, those youngsters with Tree Rollins as our captain, with Dominique as our superstar player, went on to win 50, 57, 52, 54 straight years. When I got to Cleveland, I was inheriting a team that we thought had a shot at winning the world championship. There's some good players on that team. You know, Michael Jordan, the buzzer shot, all that type of thing going on. They were that close to moving on. However, no one ever counted on the injuries. In that first year that I was there, Terrell Brandon basically missed the entire season because of a severe case of mononucleosis. He didn't come back to well after the halfway point and just was not Terrell Brandon. He, he just had lost too much time. He was too weak. He had lost too much weight. Meanwhile, Brad Darty injures his back and retires with the two discs that exploded in his back. Larry Nance has two knee surgeries. He retires at the end of the season. So we have no Darty. We have no Nance as we go down the stretch. And in the practice right before the first playoff game, and we were very fortunate. We were playing those Chicago Bulls who had a guy named Michael Jordan on. How lucky were we? Without <laughs> those two guys, Nance and Darty, Hot Rod Williams breaks his thumb in practice the first day. I remember that. So we go in with no Darty, no Nance, no Hot Rod. The next year we come back, Mark Price, Mark Price breaks his wrist, and Gerald Wilkins tears his Achilles tendon in the exhibition game. There's the five guys that were the nucleus of that great Cavaliers team. Two of them have retired, and beginning of the next season, the other two are gone. So there comes what I call the team two for me in uh, Cleveland, which was we went out and saw guys, you remember, like Tony Campbell, Michael Cage. Danny Ferry became a major piece of that next group that was in there for two years. And then came the third team for two years, which was the rookies, Brevin Knight, Anderson, Cedric Henderson, Zadrunas Elgowskis, and we signed the free agent, Sean Kemp. So I kind of coached three different teams or three yeah. different stages of Cavalier basketball. It was a, it, It's interesting to hear the approach to the start of the season. I, I, I like that. And obviously the Cavs right now with their injuries are having to kind of go through that. All right, let's see what we have mode. While that's been going on, they've still been winning. You know, the eight-game winning streak was terrific. Snap the four-game losing streak, you hope, and you keep things moving, going in the right direction. But other teams have warmed up a little bit. And I I would say it's interesting to me because early on, Boston on top, at least as we're we're talking right now, three losses, two of them to the Cavaliers, 
But as you touched on earlier, Mike, the Celtics look like they're good to go. Milwaukee's up top there as well. Those two teams look like they're kind of on their path already. And maybe Mike going to stay there, at least up in the, the topper part, top part, upper part of the Eastern Conference feels that way, at least for most of this season. Well, what's scary to me is uh, as good as Milwaukee is right now, they're only going to get better. Yeah. If they add the pieces back that have been missing for them. You know, when Middleton comes back and plays and Connaughton uh, comes back and plays, Green, who they picked up, has been out for him. Uh, Drew Holiday is out right now for them. They've got five pieces that are really good players that when they come back, I mean, this team's not doing too bad right now, uh, led by Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's whatever he is, third, second, third in the league in scoring and rebounding almost 12 rebounds per game. But their defense has been outstanding. You add those pieces back again to Milwaukee, and I don't, I don't see them doing anything uh, but getting better when they get those pieces back, which is a little bit scary. Hmm. But talk about some of the teams that are surprising right now. How about Portland? Okay, with yeah. a, I think it's 10 and 4 right now. And they have been simply sensational under Chauncey Billups after the horrendous year. There are people in the front office, along with Chauncey, I'm sure, made a decision. Let's get rid of a lot of these guys. Let's keep one guy, like Dame Lillard. Keep him because he's been the face of our franchise for years now. So they keep Lillard. They go out and do the deals that they can do. They give the young guys that they had on the roster a chance to play. And all of a sudden, they have developed into a very cohesive, good unit. And then Utah, when they give away Rudy Gobert, then Donovan Mitchell was gone. And then there was Mike Conley was going to be the next one that Mike that goes English isn't there anymore for them. He, by the way, is a piece of Milwaukee that is out and not playing. And he's going to come back for that Milwaukee team. Now, all of a sudden, people are going to, ah, Utah is going to be terrible. Utah is very good. Yeah. Utah has a great blend of veteran guys, the Mike Connellys, the Rudy Gays, who are doing a terrific job for them. And then these young guys that they're using who have come in and, and you know, a, a guy coming off the bench um, that can get you 25 or 30 points on a given night, uh, that's a plus anyway. Then you put him into the starting lineup, and I'm forgetting his name right now. Jordan Clarkson. I'm sorry? Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson. Yeah, Clarkson. Yeah. Uh, so Clarkson is in the starting lineup for them and been around the league for a few years. Utah's a tough out when you go up against them. So we We've seen some teams jump out early. We've seen other teams come on late. And the guys who got out real early, some of them falling back to the pack. Well, maybe the next podcast we do, we'll see you not in a hotel room out somewhere covering the NBA. Or maybe we will, because you're going to be in hotel rooms a lot all basketball season long. So uh, hang in there, buddy. You know, Jeff, maybe if you just thought about it a little bit and you were being kind to your partner, you could share some of your hotel points and I could get upgraded to like a nicer room. What do you think? Uh, You you don't want to stay in the places I'm going to be able to afford, Mike. (laughs) Whatever you say. Got your hotel points right there. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you next time. Thank you. All right. It's Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps.